we were talking earlier about how our relationship with fear gets established in childhood. Right now, the predominant way that we're taught to deal with fear is a, some form of resistance to it. That's my word. It starts in childhood when little Johnny first says, I'm scared. And dad says, well-meaning, well, there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. That assures me that that kid is going to grow up with an anxiety disorder (laughs) because all of a sudden that kid it's like okay this very real feeling that I'm feeling in my body I shouldn't be feeling I'm now embarrassed about it I actually call that fear shaming fear shaming is the reason why we have anxiety disorders because we start to think that there's something wrong with us that we have this normal and natural fear that's with us from birth to death with us all the time and if we're feeling like there's something wrong with us that we feel fear which is around all the time, we're going to think that all the time there is something wrong with us. Right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor, and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor-based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them. As again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Kristen Ulmer, welcome to the What Is Money show. We are in Oslo for the Oslo Freedom Forum 2023. Um, I, you're speaking at the event or what, what's your affiliation? I'm speaking at the event. I did that yesterday and I'm also facilitating a one-hour session on what to do about fear and anxiety that we've never heard about before. Mm, And this is your specialty, right? You're a thought leader on fear and anxiety. Yes. Very popular topics in today's modern culture. (laughs) I have uh, my job is secure. Yes. Your job is secure because people are insecure. 
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me about like what is that? What are you a therapist? Are you a guru? Like what what is thought leader on fear and anxiety do for people? I have a completely out of the norm training and background that gives me a unique position to reimagine different ways to approach and deal with fear and anxiety than you're going to hear from a psychologist or a self-help guru or a doctor. Uh, so what I teach isn't being repeated from something I learned in university or I'm not kind of passing around the same old information that everybody else is teaching about calming practices, breathing exercises, cognitive behavioral therapy, like None of that you're going to hear me talking about. Uh, so my background is that I was a professional extreme sports athlete. I was considered the best woman big mountain extreme skier in the world for 12 years. Okay. Now, what does the word extreme mean? It means that the consequences of failure are either injury or death. So I look like I knew what to do about fear. I was considered fearless. I was also voted by the outdoor industry to be the most fearless woman athlete in North America because I did a lot of other dangerous sports like rock and ice climbing. Wow. Um, you did I rode ice my, climbing? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I rode uh, paragliding, flying trapeze, kiteboarding. I rode my mountain bike alone across India in the 90s. Like it did all sorts of crazy things. And so that's what gained me that vote. Um, that was the first part of my training is just like real world in the dirt experiences with <clears throat> dealing with a tremendous amount of fear, a lot more than the average citizen. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So many amazing things, Laura. Um, you did ice climbing. I watched a documentary on ice climbing. I think it is the most extreme sport in the world, right? In terms of like risk of death or injury. If you're leading. Yeah. Um, I, I was never that great of an ice climber, but I did lead. Yeah. Uh, I did, you know, it's called being on the sharp end of the rope. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're basically, I mean, climbing these frozen structures. I'm, the vision, visual that's come to mind is a guy with a little axe. These are giant, I guess they're icicles. I don't know what you exactly call these things. And he's just stabbing them in to the ice and then pioneering his way up the mountain. The mountain? Yeah. The ice. So the waterfall, the frozen waterfall. The frozen waterfall, okay. Mm -hmm. That's an extreme sport. And you said you also biked across India? Yeah, by alone? myself. That was a trip. A mountain bicycle? Uh-huh, with panniers. Alone? Alone. Across the whole country? I biked from Kathmandu to the border of Pakistan. Wow. How long did that take? Two months. And... <laughs> people always ask me where did I sleep and I would just bike until I was tired and put my foot down look to the right and whatever was there that's where I would sleep usually it was really? a person's house on the ground um sometimes yeah um they they would usually figure out a bed for me I'd give them some money um I'd eat with a family uh you know it was pretty gnarly though I was covered in skin lice the whole time oh my gosh this was before cell phones, so no GPS. I was pretty much lost all the time. It was very intense. Wow. My mother was very worried about me. And how old were you at the time? Uh, 24. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So that's my background, my first part of my background. And then when I retired as an athlete in 2003, 
the second part of my training was because I was so curious. I had also been on the U.S. ski team for moguls, and I really didn't thrive there. I was so filled with anxiety and nerves, and um, it was... But then when I was a big mountain extreme skier, I wasn't. So I was very curious about what the difference was between thriving or flailing. Mm -hmm. And so I started studying. And I also wanted to actually, I also wanted to learn what I'd learned, figure out what I'd learned from skiing, except for hedonism and the gratification of my massive ego. Okay. (laughs) Like I wanted to, I didn't feel like I'd learned anything from 15 years as a professional athlete. And it just kind of felt stupid. Like, what the hell was that? that I just did. And um, what I did is I, I started studying with a Zen master mm. obsessively for about 15 years. And my curiosity really centered around a Zen approach to fear. And then during that time, I started becoming a mindset sports coach. And I found that if I brokered a conversation between an athlete and their fear, I could find out a lot about what was going on in their unconscious mind. Interesting. So everything that I'm going to share with you about what to do about fear and anxiety is actually not my personal philosophy. It's what I've learned by using a technique called voice dialogue and having these conversations, uh, brokering these between a client and their fear and listening to what fear says and asks for um, which, by the way, is the radical opposite of what everybody else on the planet literally teaches about what to do about fear. Fear's like, oh, hell no. That's not what I want. This is what I want. If you want me to calm down, don't keep doing what you're doing. Do this instead. So that's what I'm sharing with you today. I'm reminded of that quote, when you do what you fear, fear disappears. Is it is part of this therapy or approach and just going towards what you fear versus trying to go away from it? It's a matter of being willing to feel fear. Now, I we can just start diving right off the deep end if you want. I would love that. Okay. Um, Alex Hunold, guy who free soloed El Capitan. Okay, I don't know. He, uh, it's a, he was a, in a documentary called... Um, Free Solo that won oh, okay. I've seen Oscar that. I have seen in 2019. This. I have seen this. And he did what is unquestionably the most amazing sports feat in the history of the world. I don't think anybody would argue against that and the scariest thing anybody's ever consciously chosen to do. Right. So he climbed a El Capitan in Yosemite without ropes. And he didn't just climb it without ropes. He climbed a very, very difficult route without ropes. I forget what the rating was. It was like 12D or something, uh, which blows my mind. So uh, there's a test that was done to determine whether he had a damaged amygdala or a normally functioning amygdala. And the amygdala is the manufacturing plant for fear. It's the oldest part of the brain. And uh, it's going around that he has a damaged amygdala. But I've talked to him, and he, he doesn't have a damaged amygdala. He actually said the test was really stupid, it was totally not realistic, and he feels fear like everybody else. Huh. Um, so what was the magic of how he ma- managed to accomplish that? Well, he said to me, I have it on video, um, if I had it, had no fear, then I would have tried to do this the first year I lived in Yosemite, and I would have died for sure. Mm. but he took 10 years to build up to it. And the process is twofold. Like if you want to expand who you are, 
and become the biggest, most magnificent version of yourself. Like, listen up, this is the secret. Um, the first one, going back to your quote, is uh, yes, doing the things that you fear. My version of that is having a willingness to feel fear. Right. So you have your comfort zone, yeah. picture a circle, and in your comfort zone, you're still gonna feel fear because fear is with us every moment of every day. More on that later. But with Alex, he's willing to feel more fear. So he's willing to step out of his comfort zone. And each time he steps out of his comfort zone, the first year he's in Yosemite, he just kind of pushes himself just a little bit. The optimal number to push yourself is 4%. Whoops. If you, Yeah, if you're young and you're talented and people say, uh, why 4%? Well, because five's too much, three's too little. <laughs> five's over, you know, too much fear, three's you're bored. Yeah. So 4%, takes you into that optimal flow state uh, because of the fear. So you do this often enough and then connect the dots outside of the comfort zone. You have a bigger comfort zone after year one. Zone. So every year he did this a little bit out of the comfort zone, connect the new dots, connect the new dots, connect the new dots until he's a has a huge comfort zone. And then the day he free soloed it, it wasn't that far out of his comfort zone to now do it without ropes the whole mm. way. Wow. Okay. So that's the first part, the willingness to feel fear. As for what to do with the fear once you're out of your comfort zone, that's a second conversation, but I'll pause here because you maybe have questions. I just want to ask about the 4%. So it, you want to expand that comfort zone by 4% per year or whatever, maybe. What are the criteria by which you're measuring that? Is this, is this just something personal to you? Because I imagine your comfort zone could be anything, right? Could be public speaking, could be free soloing, could be surfing. People are scared of lots of things. People are scared to commit and start families. I mean, fear is, you mentioned it's with us everywhere all the time. Uh, I guess it applies to basically every dimension of life. So how do we measure the 4%? That's a great question. I should clarify that this comes from Mike Gervais, who's a sports psychologist, and Stephen Kotler, who's an author. Oh, I've, Kotler, but on flow states. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can't remember who came up with it first, but those two are the guys that said 4%. And when they said that, it's like, ding, ding, ding. My mind went, oh, yeah, that's it. And, you know, it's just kind of an intuitive thing. And how it manifests in skiing, for example, is you just ski 4% faster. Right. Um, and on the rule of 72, you're basically doubling every 15 years then. If you're, if you're increasing your comfort zone by 4% a year in 15 years, you've doubled it. Well, you're good at math. We like to rule 72. Okay. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> uh, so you just know it when you feel it because it's where Stephen Kotler says when you're doing something scarier, when you're feeling fear, flow comes for free. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, 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 that's not true. If you know how to deal with the fear, flow mm -hmm. comes for free. Uh, if you're in resistance to the fear, flow definitely does not come for free. But if you're having, and this is the second part, if you have intimacy with the fear, flow comes for free. Okay. So back to the 4%, if you're taking a risk, and it could be, it's like if you're giving speeches. I gave a speech yesterday. Yeah. And if, I gave a speech once to 10,000 people. If that's your first speech, like, oh shit, like yeah, that yeah. should not be your first speech. Yeah. You know, you want to start small. You want to do Toastmasters. You want to you know, give a speech to your family, like you want to build up to it. Like you'll know just because it's the fear is just too much yes. that you're too far out of your comfort right. zone. Um, 
if you're not feeling enough fear, or, and I should clarify what fear is, it's, it's not scared or afraid. That's what people usually associate with fear. And fear very ra- rarely manifests as scared or afraid. Mostly it just manifests as any kind of discomfort in our bodies. Okay. And it could even be sadness or anger or um, upset or, you know, any, even physical pain. Like this is our fear. So if you're not, and, and it, for me, it manifests oftentimes as just excitement. Like it's very rare in my yeah, life that right. I felt scared or afraid, but I have felt very alive and very excited, like with the skiing. So if you're bored, then it's not enough fear. Right. If you're overly stimulated, it's too much. So you'll know the 4% because you'll be like, oh yeah, okay. it's on. It's so funny. I gave a keynote on free markets and flow states in Bitcoin Miami just a couple of months ago, which was in front of like, there were 15,000 people at the conference. I don't know how many people were in the audience. And that the I use that diagram where it's like your skill set is on one axis and the challenge is on the other axis. And flow is that diagonal channel, right, between the two. That as the challenge increases, your skills increase need to increase and that's how you maintain flow. But if it's too challenging and you're not skillful, you're overwhelmed. And if it's too, if you're too skillful and it's not challenging, you're bored. Yeah, that came from Carol Dweck's book. I think uh, so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I you want to challenge yourself. You want to step out of your comfort zone where there exists fear. Right. Okay. So we're back. We just had a little lunch break. Neither one of us had eaten all day, so that was nice. Um, when we left off, you were going to describe to me where fear comes from. Fear comes from the amygdala. We've heard of this part of the brain. It's the oldest part of the brain, two almond-shaped nuggets at the top of the spine. And all sensory data is run through this primary filter first. And we're talking 11 million bits of data, incoming data per second. And how the scientists figure that out, I have no idea. And if there's a threat, the amygdala will send a shot of discomfort called fear into our bodies. And while there, it's supposed to flow like water through a hose. And and keep in mind, really pay attention to this. There's no thought involved. And it goes into your body. This is proven by science. So nowhere in this process is thinking involved. So then it's supposed to flow like water through a hose and provide for us on-point intuitive physical reaction in the form of fight, flight, or freeze. And then 10 to 90 seconds after the threat is finished, the fear runs its course out of our bodies. And then the associated cortisol and adrenaline is gone um, a few, you know, probably 15 to 30 minutes later. Gotcha. Um, So here's the thing, though. In today's fast-moving world where more happens in 24 hours than used to happen, sorry, 24 hours than used to happen in 24 years, uh, the amygdala is manufacturing fear over time. It's just constant. So even though people are in denial of this and they don't want to believe this, fear is with us every single moment of every single day in every single interaction we have. We don't even need to leave our house and it's there. And it comes from three resources, regular everyday life, you know, school, work, difficult people, crazy neighbors, Mm -hmm. like you you name it. Um, And um, this alone, just regular everyday life is where all the fear comes from. It's just constantly in our systems. Then there's a second resource, just 
things that are imposed on us from other people, trauma, abuse, being mugged, um, people using fear as a weapon. You know, we're at the Freedom Forum right now. That definitely is used a lot. And also because people don't know how to deal with the fear too, it becomes a even worse problem. Uh, so that's the second resource of fear is, is being more fear than even just everyday life being imposed on us from others. And then the third resource, which is what we've been talking about, is when we decide to take risks. Mm. We introduce more fear into our lives, taking up skiing, having a baby, getting married, um, anything that's out of our comfort zone that we do to expand who we are. Now, not everybody is a risk taker. Not everybody wants to in, uh, invite more fear into their lives. You know, you, But even water slides, going on a roller coaster, this is inviting more fear into our lives. Uh, and, and it's um, important to do that if we want to expand to our greatest potential. Like there is no learning and growing without a willingness to feel even more fear. Right. So conclusion. Three different resources, a lot of fear. It is with us in a big way. And we like to think that we're all about love, and we are, but we're also all about fear. And until and unless people really recognize that fear is that big of a part of our lives, they're going to just be in denial about the reality of what it means to be a human being. And so part of my job is to educate people about that. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, so, again, how did you define fear earlier? You said it's just that the amygdala response of yes. the body so when we're, when we're encountering novelty that could potentially be threatening in any way or have a biological response to it exactly and again it's really important to note that fear is not just scared or afraid it's very very rare that fear manifests as scared or afraid right here's a big moment Nobody calls it fear anymore. We're all calling it anxiety, but it's exactly the same thing. Okay. We have all sorts of renames for fear, uh, worry, um, frustration. Yes. Uh, it, it's For me, it manifests as upset. Um, my fear actually manifests as sadness most of the time. Mm. It's very rare that I feel scared or afraid. It also manifests as excitement yeah. or aliveness and any kind of discomfort or elevated levels of energy or even physical discomfort, like that's your fear. It's in your body. So scared or afraid is not what we're talking about. We're not walking around all right. scared and afraid 24-7. But what we are, and you know, I, I actually facilitated somebody 10 minutes after the end of a 10-day Vipassana retreat where all their needs were met. Um, they achieved this perfect list out state, you know, meditating si in silence for mm -hmm. 10 days. And I said, okay, now find a sensation of discomfort in your body. And it was still there because hmm. it's always there. It's always there. It's always there. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res three-inch touch screen. It's got a camera for air gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. 
And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, The Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector, and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The Gold Investment Letter offers a free version and a paid premium version, and I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version, because after having read a few of these issues, I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. When you use the term anxiety, that resonates more with me rather than fear. I mean, I guess fear would be like a stronger version of that, but anxiety does seem to be ever present in the way that for me, it manifests as frustration. I find myself, even when I'm doing something simple on the computer and it doesn't do exactly what I want it to do, right? I click the thing that I thought would open the thing and it doesn't open. I'm this guy in my mind is like, you know, fuck this, getting frustrated. And I find that to be this, these little micro anxieties throughout my experience all the time. And a lot of my psychological life has been trying to learn how to develop or to deal with those. So I've, I did yoga for a long time, got into meditation. These things were all very helpful for me, but I still, still ever present. Like to your point, I don't think it ever goes away because we're always dealing with novelty in the real world. So I guess we're always going to have some level of anxiety or fear about just the onrushing horizon of the future that we're constantly dealing with. Imagine what it's like to your amygdala when things aren't working out on your computer. It's definitely going to manufacture fear. But again, we, we can't get too caught up on the word fear. It's any kind of like discomfort. Yeah. That's, that's your fear. And the word that we're using is anxiety. Now, let me differentiate between fear and anxiety. What anxiety is specifically is trapped fear in our systems that's recirculating round and round. What traps it? Us. Backing up to the beginning, we were talking earlier about how our relationship with fear gets established in childhood. Right now, the predominant way that we're taught to deal with fear is a, some form of resistance to it. That's my word. It starts in childhood when little Johnny first says, I'm scared. And dad says, well-meaning, well, there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. That assures me that that kid is going to grow up with an anxiety disorder (laughs) because all of a sudden that kid it's like okay this very real feeling that i'm feeling in my body i shouldn't be feeling right i'm now embarrassed about it i actually call that fear shaming Mm. fear shaming is the reason why we have anxiety disorders because we start to think that there's something wrong with us that we have this normal and natural fear that's with us from birth to death with us all the time And if we're feeling like there's something wrong with us that we feel fear, which is around all the time, we're going to think that all the time there is something wrong with us. Right. And self-esteem issues show up. And we get to busy, we get busy 
than doing the thing that we're all taught to do, which is conquering and overcoming fear, letting it go, replacing it with calm, rationalizing it away, yeah. like dad does. See, you know, there's nothing under the bed. And, yeah. um, and so we are, as a worldwide culture, fighting the biggest war that's going on on planet Earth within our own bodies against this primary emotion called fear. And it is messing up our lives. And every part of our personalities is dictated by what our relationship is with fear that's being carried out in our unconscious world. Like if somebody's a, not a risk taker, it's because they have no willingness to feel fear. If somebody has an anxiety disorder, it's because that flow of fear, they've, they've figured out techniques to kink the hose, and then the fear just gets stuck in their system circulating round and round. And that's called anxiety, which is yeah. fear that's stuck in our system when there's seemingly no more threat. Wow. What can we tell our kids if it's not, there's nothing to be afraid of? What is the proper guidance to give children in cultivating their relationship to fear? I ask as a, a self-interested father, I want to know how to answer that question okay. to my daughter. Uh, so I had a client who brought his son and daughter to the water park, and they were both nine and 10. And the daughter like jumped right on the water slide and uh, the biggest one. And seemingly she looks like she's fearless. Nobody's fearless. What's actually happening is she enjoys feeling fear. Mm. It's, it's, that's what's going on with her. And then meanwhile, his son is like, dad said, do you want to go on the water slide? No, it's scary. And then what does dad say? Oh, no, no, it's not scary. They designed it to be very safe. See, your sister just went and she's fine. So he's trying to rationalize away the fear. Um, look, grandma just went down the water slide. So it's shaming the kid, like you shouldn't be feeling this. But the thing is, the water slide is designed to be scary. Right. That's what makes it so fun. So it's not true. The water slide should involve fear. So instead of saying there's nothing to be afraid of, you know, I'm going to hold your hand, um, we got this. What that father can say instead is exactly what I just said. Well, yes, it's scary, isn't it? Um, are you in the mood for fear right now? Which is a question I ask myself every day. Like when somebody calls me and says, do you want to give a speech at the Oslo Freedom Forum? <laughs> You know, the, the answer, the fear. yeah, it's like, okay, I'm in the mood for fear right now. Like, um, and, you know, fear's my thing. So, yes, I used to be a fear addict, but that's another So Is that like being an adrenaline junkie, a fear addict? That's what we're called, adrenaline junkie. And okay. adrenaline doesn't always show up when you're in a fear state. But, um, yes, I technically, I called myself an excitement addict back then, but I realize now what I was was a fear addict. And I was as addicted to it as a heroin addict can wow. be addicted to heroin. It was actually a problem and I'm lucky to have survived my ski career. Wow. Bookmark that, back okay. to kids. Yes. Um, so the dad could say, you know, yes, it's designed to be scary. So that's basically reinforcing that the kid, yes, you are supposed to be feeling fear right now. Just even at the thought of going, even just being around this thing, it's gonna induce fear. Your amygdala is like, oh, lit up, like, whoa. Um, and then you say, well, are you in the mood for fear? Kid says no. And then the father could say, well, let's sit together and just be not in the mood for fear. Okay. And then 15 minutes later say, okay, now you're in the mood for fear. And if the kid has been fear shamed for a long time, he will fight for his right to have his fear. Right. And that's why that kid is so pickled in fear. 
You know, it's like, I, I want to be able to feel this, God damn it. Like, so um, then at some point, though, if you keep this up, the kid will probably say, okay, yes, I'm willing to feel fear. Okay, well, then let's go up there and let's, let's feel fear together. And the emphasis should always be on feeling. Because most people are dealing with their fear intellectually. Mm -hmm. They're they're thinking about it. They're trying to understand where it comes from. But the thing is, we're never going to be able to figure out which of those 11 million bits of data per second are warranting the fear. It it seemingly looks like the water slide, but there may be some deeper, more cosmic thing going on from ancestral lineage. I mean, who knows? Yeah. You know, I... You can't figure it out. Yeah, if, if you have a lot of fear or anxiety in your life, if you try to figure out where it comes from, you're going to make your therapist very rich and you're not going to be able to figure it out. So I, I don't recommend that. But just holding that child's hand, no fear shaming, but actually including fear into um, the, the child's life experience, feeling it with them, yeah. not thinking about it, not talking about it, not trying to figure out where it comes from, but just sitting and feeling it together is a very bonding experience and then it teaches that kid how to be in flow with it that's great fever yeah so it's it's not something we can rationalize because this is ever-present biological reality so it's more about learning to live with this reality i had so i mentioned to you that i used to box when i first started boxing i experienced that quote that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face you know you start out boxing you're you're just training your hands, you're doing shadow boxing, you're doing pads, you're doing bag work. But when you get into the ring to spar, something changes. Like the first time you actually get hit, the fear, like you really experience the Darwinian fear of being in a arena of combat with another human being <laughs> and the pain that comes with making an error. And it was very difficult for me at first, actually. Like you, you did not want to do it. Talk about going down the water slide. Like you did not really want to get into this ring. And I had a great boxing coach, and he said, fear is like a fire. He said, human beings, clearly, we have to control fire to have civilization to make everything work. But if fire is not controlled, then it will destroy everything that it touches. So his analogy was to learn to cultivate your fear as though it's a fire, like a source of energy for you in the ring. And that kind of like, I guess when you're describing fear can be, it's ambivalent in that it can be anxiety or it can be excitement right it's is it is it about the control or is it about the relationship with fear like how do we how do we move if you have the energy that is fear and it's manifesting as anxiety or frustration is it possible to judo move that over into excitement or something positive something constructive absolutely and it can be taught bruce lee said the less effort the faster and more powerful I will be. It takes a lot of effort to control fear. I liked everything you said except for the control part. Because mm-hmm. you can't control, I mean, you can control a forest fire, but you know, part of the problems with for, forest fires in our world is that we've tried to control them, True. right? True. So if we just let them do their thing, um, and it's the same with fear. Fear does not want to be controlled. I love to personify fear. Okay. It's like a person that lives in our bodies and has ever anybody ever liked to be controlled ever in the history of the world? No, they rebel and they fight back and you give them magical powers and they will run your life if you try to control fear. Now that's saying a big thing because that contradicts everything we're taught to do about fear in our culture. There are books that are bestsellers 
about emotional intelligence that teach that emotional intelligence is our ability to um, understand our fear, which puts us in our head, trying to deal with our emotions intellectually, right? Um, and control our fear or manage our fear might be the word, which is another way of saying control. And that version of emotional intelligence right there is the reason why we have such severe anxiety disorders and other emotional issues in our culture mm -hmm. because you can't understand fear. Mm -hmm. um, can you ever understand another person? A little bit, but no. not really. And you can't understand which of those 11 million bits of data per second are showing up for you in the boxing ring. Right. Um, and controlling it, you may as well be trying to control the universe. Sure, right. You know, how can you control your amygdala and why would you want to? Well, what is the right verb? Is it like harness? Is it what? Or, because it seems like there's this energy there, right? We need to do something with it. Um, maybe not control. That's too top down dominion over that person you said that lives inside us. That is fear. Are we channeling it differently? Are we harnessing? Like, how do we constructively use this energy versus letting it harm us or hurt us? Back to the Bruce Lee quote the less effort, the faster and more powerful you will be. A lot of effort to understand. Mm -hmm and control another person, AKA fear, a lot less energy is just let it do its thing. Mm. And my version of that, and this is where we're back to Alex Hunold and we're back to the secret behind big mountain professional extreme skiers like I used to be, and the secret to people that do incredible huge things with their lives yet can still sleep at night. The word is intimacy. If you have intimacy with your fear, that's step two for Alex. A willingness to feel fear is step one. Intimacy with the fear when he's out of his comfort zone. That's where the magic lies. Not conquering, not overcoming, not fighting this mighty battle against fear that you're never going to win. You might win a few battles, but you're not going to win the war. Right. But having intimacy with it and merging with it. And next thing you know, that fear just helps you, your performance be magnificent. Wow. So more of a more of a dance or a dialogue or something, not control, dominion. It's it's another person, right? You're having a conversation with the fear, perhaps. I run uh, mindset only ski camps called the Art of Fear Ski Camps, and most people, well, not most people, a lot of people come to my camps because they they're like, I've got to get rid of this fear when I ski. And I'm like, oh, look again. <laughs> And on day two of a three-day camp, I facilitate, because I'm a facilitator. I, I don't lecture about this stuff so much as I show people. And I take them into different states of consciousness and experience different realities in my camp first regarding fear. And so when people ski, they are in resistance to fear. And that's what puts them in the back seat. That's They're leaning back. It's like they're not embracing gravity. They're not embracing the speed, the experience. And uh, ski instructors spend their whole lives trying to get people forward and embracing the gravity and the, you know, and um, it's because, it, and actually I will say this, this is kind of a big point. The awful feeling we associate with fear, listen up, this is huge, isn't fear. The awful feeling we associate with fear is our resistance to feeling the fear. That's oh. what feels so awful. Okay. And if somebody has an anxiety disorder, that's what it is. They're in resistance to their fear. Like anxiety equals fear times resistance. Gotcha. And resistance is specifically taught. Can't lower the number, if, if it's a mathematical equation, you can't lower the number of fear 
um, the only thing you can lower is the resistance. And fear times zero equals zero anxiety. Um, so uh, now I've lost track of where I was. <laughs> oh. Um, oh, ski camp. Yeah. So I will facilitate people into, I call them voices, the voice of resistance to fear. And I won't let them ski that way because it's, it's dangerous. They could get hurt. And then I juxtapose that with the voice of doing a dance. I love that you came up with that because that's what I do. I, I facilitate them in doing a dance with fear down yeah. the mountain. And I have seen people's, their, their number, not mine, people skiing improve in one run by 40%. Wow. Just by making that shift. So as a boxer, if you are, because boxing is a lot of dance, if you can do a dance with your fear, have an intimate dance with fear, like lovers, like you're Batman, fierce Robin, like yeah. stronger together than apart, then that is the, the formula, the magic formula to being unstoppable. Not the radical denial of fear, but the radical inclusion. Yeah. That's the secret to success. That's so beautifully said. I, it manifested for me as more head movement, actually. So it was actually physically more dancing in the ring is what prevented me from getting hit so much. I was like too still. So I was always very easy target. And then as you learn to actually loosen up, you know, when you first get in the ring, you're very stiff and worried about getting punched. But as you actually loosen up and let your head move around, you don't get hit as much. So it's, yeah, it literally improves your boxing game by dancing more with the fear and and with your opponent at the same time. Yeah, that, there it is. The less effort, the faster and more powerful. Yeah. A lot of effort to radically deny fear. You become a really rigid person to bulk yeah. out your fear. Yeah. And we see this in ski racers a lot. They get to be 30 years old and they start having injury after injury after injury. And we mm -hmm. think, well, they're getting old, they're getting tired. They're... No, what happens is they have become such a rigid person to block out their fear to do what they do, and you can get away with that for maybe 10 years tops, and then things start to go south in your life. And to the point where if somebody has a problem in their life, and I mean any problem, ongoing injuries, um, lower back pain, yeah. uh, emotional issues, PTSD, fighting with your spouse. Gut issues. Gut issues, yeah. absolutely. The resistance to fear, not fear, but the resistance to fear either has something or everything to do with it. So not only does your relationship with fear determine your personality, yeah. but your relationship with fear determines your health on so many wow. different levels, which is why I always say your relationship with fear is the most important relationship of your life because it pretty much determines everything about yeah. who you are and how high functioning you are as a human being. Are there specific techniques that people can adopt to lower their resistance and just get more accustomed to feeling the fear? Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> you don't want to resist the resistance because resistance, see that as a person that lives in your body too. Okay. You know, you don't want to switch the war against fear to now the war against resistance. Okay. What is that going to accomplish? So you want to honor your resistance. And, and that is actually the hardest thing to teach because people... Um, often don't know what I mean by resistance. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling. Like, I'm, I want, I hear you, and I'm trying to actually think inside myself, how do I lower my resistance and feel the fear more? Because I think I've probably been trying to manage it, not feel it throughout most of my life. Most people do because of fear shaming. That's what we're taught to do. Uh, there are as many forms of resistance to fear as there are people, 8 billion different forms mm -hmm. of resistance. And so I recommend, first of all, 
first step to shift from resistance to intimacy is getting to know your unique relationship with fear. Like, are you, I would say that 99.9% have a combative or resistant relationship to fear all of the time Mm -hmm. and 100% of us some of the time Mm -hmm. because of cultural norms. I'm seeking to change that, but I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime. I'm doing my best. But um, So some of the uh, ways that people resist fear that are the most common I see are um, they're in their heads trying to understand it uh, or deal with it. And this is the biggest form of resistance that I see to feeling it. Or they're just in their heads all the time so they don't have to feel their emotions. Right. Another way is they try to control it through, and this is going to shock people because anybody that has an anxiety disorder does this stuff. And they're told by their therapist, their self-help guru, every book out there. I mean, this is common knowledge. This is the treatment for anxiety. And I'm saying, no, these are just forms of resistance Mm -hmm. to feeling it. And in order to really understand how this is resistance, imagine fear as a person. So if, if you're trying to understand a person as a way to control them, that's going to be offensive to fear. If you're, every time fear shows up in the room, you take a deep breath and try to replace the fear with calm and breathe out the fear, that's offensive, that's offensive to fear. Um, if you try to let it go, fear's just going to laugh at you. Like, th- here's a bold statement. You ready for this? This is going to piss a bunch of people <laughs> off. The whole concept of, oh, you need to let that go Nobody in the history of the world has ever let go of anything. Wow. Okay. It is such bad advice. It is spiritual bypassing. It's hopeful. Like when you do breathing exercises and breathe in calm and let go of your fear, yeah, you feel better. You're saturating your body with oxygen. You're um, having a moment of presence and you can temporarily let go of fear. Uh, but you've just pissed fear, pissed fear off, and it's going to come back later, and it's going to come in stronger and and louder than before. Fear is not like CO two; you can't let it go. Uh, emotions, thoughts are not like CO two. You you actually they're meant they're meant to be digested, and if you're having fearful thoughts, then that means that what has gone wrong is that flow of fear through our bodies that are thought free. You kink the hose. And now that fear is showing up in this exaggerated, recirculating version of itself in the form of an anxiety disorder, or it's flooding into our thoughts now and showing up as fearful thoughts or, or insomnia. Like if you're not in flow with it during the day, it'll wake you up in the middle of the night trying to get your attention saying, hey, stop freaking ignoring me, mm-hmm. asshole. Mm-hmm. Okay? Or it'll finally explode out the cracks in the form of a panic attack, all because we've kinked the host. So all of these things that we do are offensive to fear. If we um, drink alcohol, take drugs, you know, people fighting a war against fear, trying to control it, a lot of them eventually give up and just resort to smoking pot or anti-anxiety, anti-depression medication uh, or sleep meds. These are all ways to medicate fear away. That that's, you you know, you're medicating your aliveness by doing that. You're like losing the resource that is fear. So there's definitely consequences. Like all these things that we do, everyone's so different. 
I my brand of because I'm not I during my skiing career I had a paradox going on. I both mm. was having a mad passionate love affair with fear, mm. but I also ignored it. Mm. And so ignoring fear, just I don't let it get the better of me. Yeah. Whenever I meet somebody that says, "Well, I don't have any fear," I'm like, <laughs> "Right? <laughs> How you sleeping at night? How you getting along with your kids?" So. Um, any kind of offensive language or any kind of offensive behaviors in relationship to fear is yeah. just, that's the resistance. Okay, I have two questions. Like, okay, so one is, if fear is this person, we have to have this relationship with them. Is, first part of the question, is love then the proper, you're saying intimacy, maybe that's another word for love here, to love our fear, to be intimate with our fear. Is that, our, is that the proper orientation towards fear, is love? And then, and then, let me answer that. Yes, please. Um, it's hard to love something that you've been at war with for a long time. Okay. And you're like, okay, no, he's the problem. I'm not the problem. If he would just go away, then I could live the life I want to live. This is like love thy enemy. Yeah. So, what is the proper recourse in a situation like that where you have this person that lives in your body, or let's call it a roommate that's with you all the time? Mm. How do you turn that relationship around? You can't just jump right to love. Right. You have to go through the steps. Start with acceptance. Like, all right, this guy is not going away. You know, it's normal and natural right. for it to be here. There's nothing wrong with me that I feel this, which turns around fear shaming. Like that can change yep. people's lives. And the second, so like resistance is level one. Acceptance is level two. It's like you got to do step by step. And people are resisting because they think it's they're abnormal, right? I shouldn't be feeling this fear, but yes, this the realization that it's completely universal, ubiquitous, and normal can help you lower your resistance to that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah just that is shocking to some people to even realize. Mm -hmm. Level two is acceptance, normal and natural, but notice we're still in our heads understanding something about fear. We're not in the business of feeling it yet. Right. So level three is where we start to feel it. And um, I also recommend somewhere in there apologizing to fear. Mm. Like, hey, I am so sorry. I Some other forms of resistance are being obsessively neat and clean as mm. a way to control. You can't control fear, so you control your environment, right. so you have less fear. It's OCD kind of thing. Like that, yeah. Shopping. Um, Exercise. I have tons of friends that are addicted to exercise. I am probably addicted to exercise. As, but it's fine. You know, we have to go shopping. We got to clean the house. Yeah. We got to exercise. But if it's excessive, then you might look into that. That may be your way of resisting feeling fear. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like um, for me, it's I like the pain. I don't know. It's a like a quick gateway into meditation for me. I go and induce physical pain in my body. Not. I mean, pain, obviously I'm not hurting myself, I'm not injuring myself, but I'm trying to push myself to the edge of failure in the gym, right? In performance, high intensity interval performance and all that. And that takes me, it gets me out of my head completely and just totally into the body. And that's meditative for me. Do you have intimacy with the pain when you're feeling it? I love it. Yeah. I really love it. And I, yeah, I want to visit her every day. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And um, right there, you get BDSM. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but it, it's like that with anything yeah. that's uncomfortable. Like we we look at our spiritual practices in the world, sweat lodges. Right. You know, hot, hot, hot. 
but you go in there. Yeah, you exactly. If you can have intimacy with the heat, then it's a spiritual experience. If Mm -hmm. you have intimacy with the cold, it's a spiritual experience. That's what's going on there. If you can have intimacy with the pain, also spiritual experience. You people that get addicted to getting tattoos know this. Right. But but it's only because of the intimacy. If you're in resistance to the pain, resistance to the cold, resistance to the tattoo, then that's not going to be a spiritual experience. It's going to be a lot of suffering. But and it's the same with fear. It's the same with shame and guilt and anger and any form of discomfort, frustration, if you can have intimacy with it. And this is actually the perf- perfect segue. I know we're bouncing around a little bit with a few incomplete conversations. All right. Right. But if you can have, so Dogen Zenji lived about 900 years ago, very famous uh, uh, Zen master. His quote was, enlightenment is intimacy with all things. Enlightenment is intimacy with mm-hmm. all things. Mm-hmm. Nobody uses the word enlightenment anymore. It's a cheesy word. Our new word that we've replaced it with is flow. Mm-hmm. So let's modify the quote. Flow is intimacy with mm-hmm. all things. And if you can have intimacy with all things internal, especially it's, I mean, it's okay. Intimacy with love, joy, gratitude, great. But if you could learn how to have intimacy with the pain, the suffering, the fear, the anger, the sadness, that's Zen. That's a flow state. That's what flow is. That's the literal definition of flow. And then you can also have intimacy with all things external, the gardening. You know, you don't need fear to get into a flow state. um, The skiing, the the boxing, the podcast, the whatever it is, the speech that you're giving, the, the dance you're doing with your lover, whatever. If you can have intimacy with that, that's where the flow state comes from. That's the key word. Well, well is intimacy actually intimacy? Yeah. So flow is intimacy with all things. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Um, okay, I have to ask about the nature of courage. Obviously, so I think many people consider fear to be the opposite of courageous. Right? You're either scared or you're courageous. But that doesn't seem to be how it actually works, right? That um, I've, I consider fear to be more of a precursor to courage. That you can't exhibit courage without feeling fear, right? I don't think there's, I don't think it's possible actually to be truly courageous in the absence of fear. Because what would you be standing against, or maybe even being intimate with? Maybe it is a form of intimacy with a fear, like to just see the fear, accept the fear, and decide to move towards whatever the thing is anyways. Um, so my question, I guess, is what is the relationship between fear and courage? It doesn't, I would love to hear if you agree or disagree. It's courage is not the absence of fear, I'm guessing. So what is the actual relationship between fear and courage? Well, I'm picturing the guy that just watches the car accident and um, the car's on fire and he wants to run over and get somebody out of the car. Not everybody's going to run over there. The person that's willing to feel fear is going to run over there. So courage is a willingness to feel fear. What then happens is the fear is the thing that helps him do the incredible thing. And maybe the door's stuck and all of a sudden he has human strength. You know, the fear is the thing that gives him the superhuman strength. You have to really give credit to fear for what fear can offer us in those moments. If you're willing to feel it and if you have intimacy with it. 
And then that experience, if he's, it sounds like somebody that would do that would have a reasonably healthy relationship with fear. So afterwards, I wouldn't expect there to be PTSD. More than likely, it would be one of the greatest experiences of his life because of the fear. Mm. So it's courage is stepping towards fear. A willingness to feel fear. A willingness to feel fear. Okay. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the -the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. I want to go back to your addiction to fear. You said you had a paradoxical relationship during your ski career that you are having a, uh, I think, a mad love affair with fear, but also ignoring fear at the same time. Can you just share what that journey was and what your revelations ultimately were? I mean, having gone through, sounds like maybe a uh, dysfunctional relationship that became functional. Um, what what did you learn on that journey and, and did you resolve the paradox for yourself? It wasn't until I was done with my ski career that I resolved the paradox. But let me tell you a story during my ski career. Um, I was a, a film skier. I... Um, jumped off cliffs and ski, you fall, you die, descents for the cameras. And the A-listers, that's what we do. We, we film. Uh-huh. And people that want to make it as professional big mountain, we don't call it extreme anymore, we call it big mountain, skiers would compete in these competitions um, called free skiing competitions, I think they're called these days. And the first one that was ever run, I was invited to because I was the best in the world. And they're like, well, we got to get Kristen there. Uh-huh. And um, they made it. And I really didn't want to go because um, I, I had already established myself. And if I went and didn't win, like that would be really bad for my career. And uh, and I didn't like being in the gate. I'd been on the U.S. ski team. I hated it. So um, but they made it impossible for me to turn it down. So I went, had a lot of fear, of course, uh, fear of failure. And I got there, it's a three-day competition. There are about, I want to say, 140 com- competitors. And each day they eliminated more and more until it was the last day. 
and it was the the best of two runs. Mm-hmm. They take your best score from two runs. My first run, I played it safe. I didn't go out of my comfort zone. I skied well, but I wasn't winning. And in fact, the girl who was beating me was this woman that was really mean, awful, definitely not a better skier than me. And I was pretty upset about that. I had about two hours to think about it between runs. And I went through all the emotions that you can imagine. I had imposter syndrome, like maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. I was angry at myself. I was upset that she was ahead of me. I was embarrassed about myself. I had a lot of fear, like there was so much at stake here, my reputation, everything. And in those two hours, you what would nor- normally people do? They would try to say, no, 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 I got this. And they try to push those feelings aside and try to replace it with positivity. I do not recommend that. That's not flow. That's the opposite of flow. That's spiritual bypassing. Mm-hmm. It works, but not without consequences. Mm-hmm. So Bottling I, it up. Yeah. Letting it flow. Yeah. It's, yeah. They're the opposite. And uh, and I didn't know any of the stuff that I, I teach now back then, but I, this is the time that I got it right. I was in flow with all of that. The fear and the anger, you know, anger is a fast-burning, hot fuel that rights a wrong. And I'm like, I'm going to find a line that's just going to like wow the judges. And I found this uh, 70-foot cliff, Powder Magazine called it, thanks, guys. It was really only about 35 feet. And this, mind you, this is on, into hard pack landings on skinny skis in the 90s so anyway i i'm like okay i'm gonna jump off this massive cliff and ski this narrow chute and anyway that was my plan and uh fear helped me and anger helped me come up with that plan and by the time i got into the gate thanks to all of these different resources i call them motivators um intuitive energies uh, all of a sudden, I'm in the gate and drop by drop by drop in the last two hours with all this, quote, negativity, I had become a mighty river and I pushed off and I was already in that flow state. I landed the cliff solid. And not only did I win for the women, but I took fourth overall for the men. Wow. Yeah. Which was totally badass. And that other girl uh, took 73rd overall. Wow. And she took second place for the women. So, I mean, my reign of terror was just solidified in that competition like okay she is the best (laughs) no question and all because of fear anger frustration imposter syndrome that's what took me there that is amazing that is sounds like quite the judo move yeah and i felt addicted to skiing but what i was addicted to was the places that fear took me Mm. it was the fear that i was addicted to But I also, in that gate, I will say that because I was way out of my comfort zone, I mean, doing a cliff that big on skinny skis onto hard pack is pretty hardcore. It's way more than 4% out of my comfort zone. Being Just being judged at at a gate was not my forte. I hated it. So I also ignored fear and became very stoic in the gate in order to pull that off. But... um, But I didn't back then deal with my fear later after the event, which is really important to do. I didn't know to do that. And so over time, after about 10 years, I started to burn out on skiing. I uh, had watched some friends die and get seriously injured. I had had 50, 50 near-death experiences, and I wasn't completely in flow with my fear all the time, so I developed PTSD. I had a 
totally crashed adrenal system. After my ski career, I had to sleep for 10, 10 years to recover from it. And so it's not that I'm the poster child for what to do about fear. I'm the poster child for what to do about fear and also the poster child for what not to do about right. fear, which led to my education today. You learned through the pain, right? In a very real way. That, so, wow, that's an amazing story. You said you resolved the paradox for yourself after your ski career. What was that resolution? Learning this. I gave a speech yesterday at the Oslo Freedom Forum. And it's not that the audience is really big. It is, you know, especially if you count online. Yeah. But it's just this event is so important. And yeah. I mean, I'm around meeting the most amazing people I've ever met in my life right now. And I want to bring it like they're bringing it to yeah. the world. I want to bring it to this conference. And so I'm backstage. Um, I'm more of a facilitator than a speech giver. I do give speeches, but I'm out of my comfort zone more than mm. 4%. Mm. So my process was in the back room, because I'm just like, <laughs> right? Nobody wants to call themselves a fear expert because they think if you have to be a fear, if you're going to be a fear expert, you have to be A, fearless, and B, be able to teach fearlessness, mm. which nobody's willing Doesn't to. Exist. You can't do it. So I'm like the only fear specialist in the world. But Google it. You can't, I mean, everybody has an opinion about fear. But so I'm backstage and I'm pickled in fear about to give a talk about what to do about fear. So, uh, so either I'm really bad at my job or uh, what I say is true. So I, what my process is, is I close my eyes. I found a quiet place and I didn't rationalize it away. I didn't say, you got this, like we're taught to do. Instead, uh, my process was, okay, it's normal and natural for me to feel this course I feel fear you know this is scary and I would even put scary in that um, and I checked in to see if I had any resistance to the fear because sometimes I do sometimes I'm like I don't want to be here I don't want to do this I'm not in the mood for fear right now I just wish I were home watching a movie you know my cat I miss my cat like so I, I didn't have any resistance and that was lucky if I did have resistance though I would first spend some time honoring my resistance by feeling it and I would pick the sentence, like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. If, if that were the case, I'd, I'd just sit for about a minute and have the thought and feel the feeling like, I don't want to be here. I just mm -hmm. want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I would just wish I were home. I'm not in the mood for this. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. And when you honor a person called resistance like that, it eventually runs out of things to say huh. and it backs off. So that's how you honor your resistance. And I didn't have to do that yesterday because I've gotten really good at, um, like resistance and I have a, have a handshake agreement, you know? So instead what I did, and this would be the last step, is I just found the fear in my body. It's in my throat and in my chest. That's where it usually is. For some people, if they've been kicking the hose for a while, it's in their heads mm -hmm. um, in, in the form of thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you can do it that with your thoughts as well but it's in my throat and my chest and I just put my hand on my throat and chest and I just felt it and I just connected with it and, and when you feel something there's no thought that's the secret to great skiing too like if I'm standing at the top of a mountain and, and it might avalanche and if I fall I die it's really steep 
you know, if you're in your head thinking about your fear, that's a not the right place from which to perform, and it's a high center of gravity. But if you're in your body feeling your fear, you're you're going to perform from your body, and fear and intuition are very closely tied. Right. If you're not tapping into your fear, you have lost touch with your intuition. Right. And so I ski from this emotional, intuitive place, not fearful place, no, not scared or afraid. I don't yeah. feel that. So, so that's what I'm doing before I gave the speech is just feeling my fear. And it's like, fear's this person. And I'm like, hey, let's hang out. Let's do a dance. I want to feel you. I want to give you a hug. We give you some love. Like here we are together, stronger together than apart. Like you and me. Wow. We're gonna go out and do this. But I'm not having this thought. Yeah. Because that feeling put me in my head. Yeah. I'm just feeling it. And then it it calms right down. Is this a visualization? Like you're actually hugging a person that is fear? Or like. No, it's because it's it's there. It's real. Mm. the The best way I can describe it is, let's say you want to have intimacy with a cat. Mm. And people always think intimacy, you mean sex? It's like, no. no. I, like if anybody's ever had an intimate experience with a dog, they know it's not sexual. It's right. just, you can have an intimate experience intimate with dinner. cheesecake. Or, yeah. yeah, it's like where you you have just a sensual. very connected, yeah. sensual, yeah. And for some people it's, people, it's sensual, absolutely. For other people, it's more just a silent mm. closeness. Um, so... Uh, I was just asking if it's more of a visualization or you're oh, describing what Yeah. All right. So the, anal the best analogy I have is with a cat. Like if you want to connect in an intimate way with a cat, you know, do you think about it? No. Do you try to figure out what that means? No. Right. I mean, it's a very simple thing yeah. to have an intimate, yeah. right? But we get so busy, like, making it complicated. Yeah. Do I want to visualize connecting with a cat? Well, no, the cat's right there. So just act. Right? The fear is in your body. The yeah. fear's right there. So just act. Just do it without thought, without trying to understand anything. It's and beautiful. Yeah, it's so damn important. We are, I mean, for all the marvels this rationality has given us, it seems like we have become top-heavy as a result. And so these things are very simple, right? And for me, it was yoga and meditation. I used to not be able to sleep my whole life, two hours to fall asleep basically every night of my life until I discovered meditation in my early 20s. And I learned to just turn my brain off and I could fall asleep. And you, I got there by feeling rather than thinking. So to, to diffuse the thinking, you have to get into the feeling. And it sounds like that's what you're describing here and establishing and cultivating the relationship with fear. It's a feeling relationship, not a thinking relationship. Even though obviously this conversation is helpful for framing your your future relationship with fear. We're doing it rationally, but the the punchline where the rubber meets the road is a feeling, it's an act. It's not, uh, not a cognitive behavior, I guess. Yoga and meditation, it's worth mentioning. If it's done in its Eastern form, yes. without goals, just right. as a way to connect to your body or what is, uh, is great. Yeah. Because what is, is, oh, there's fear. And you can connect with it. Right. Unfortunately, yoga and meditation in the Western world has been started, starting to be used as Westernized. Goal, yeah, yeah. goal oriented, like goal oriented meditation of, uh, you know, imagining um, being in a field of poppies somewhere, calm, you know, no yeah. fear, like right. that kind of thing just becomes spiritual bypassing. And we make fun of this on sitcoms. Yeah. You know, we, you know, Serenity Now or, 
Stuart Smalley saying, gosh darn it, everybody loves me. Like it, we make fun of this, but it's for some reason what meditation has become for a lot of people. And I have a whole bunch of people that reach out to me and they're like, meditation is the, if I don't meditate, I can't function. Yeah, They become, they meditate three, four five times a day or else they can't sleep, they can't function, they're pickled in anxiety. Wow. That is not a healthy way to, that is a Band-Aid. Yeah. Meditation, yoga are not meant to be used as treatment for anxiety. And if if you get to the point where you're addicted to it and you need it in order to feel healthy, then that's a sign that you're using it as, as a uh, form of resistance to feeling your... Gotcha. So be, be wary, you know, is your meditation practice without goals? Is your yoga just about a way to connect to your body and maybe even a way to connect to fear? Mm-hmm. Meditation, a way to connect right. to fear. Or is it a way to replace fear with calm? Gotcha. That'll determine um, 10 years down the road whether... Y- these become just crutches that are actually holding you hostage rather than helping you. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, okay. I've kept you a long time. I would like to ask you one more thing though. My own curiosity about this word fear. Um, and I'll introduce the most loaded word in the English language, I think, which is God. Um, one of the things in scripture, it says, you know, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. And in that, through that context, I've interpreted that fear didn't mean scared or anxious or any of these things. It actually meant a respect for an inability to know. Like you cannot contain the totality of all that is, which in this, um, I'm using the word God to describe that, or the Bible uses Lord or God. You can never contain that between your ears. So to say fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding is something like respecting the limitations of knowledge itself or epistemology can only go so far, but to get to the real depths of reality, it's about feeling. It's beyond thinking, let's say beyond words, beyond logic. What What is your uh, interpretation of the word God and is fear also perhaps used in this other sense of like an inability to comprehend um and do we need a reverence for something transcendent in our lives um to be properly oriented and act properly in the world i love the question there's religion and there's spirituality there are people who are religious but not spiritual and people who are spiritual but not religious god is a word that is used in certain religions. Um, Allah is a, another word that's used, the Tao, like, you know, on and on. And in Zen, the word enlightenment, um, Buddha nature, Christ consciousness, like every spiritual tradition in the world has a name for this either unnameable thing or, thing. Pl- yeah, a nameable thing or place. Yeah. For me, my word is the infinite. Mm. Um, and it's not blind faith that I have in the infinite. I, through voice dialogue, I have actually skied in the infinite as the, as the infinite. I've become it. I've spoke to it. I've been it. Like I've had a very, you know, I take ayahuasca. Like I, I have had a very deep, intimate experience with the infinite in my life. And it's, it's with me all the time. And when I teach, it's from that place and my ego Kristen self that I teach 
I facilitate people. So it's a huge part of my life. As for the relationship that fear has with our spiritual or religious nature, the image of uh, Islamic people at a certain hour turning towards Mecca and, and bowing, um, in that there's a lot of humility and humbleness. Mm-hmm. And I think believe that fear for a lot of reasons is here it's it's here to serve us in many ways i mean what fear offers us i actually think that fear is one of the most amazing experiences we get to have here on earth but one of the things that it does offer us is humility Mm. and when we bow and it's like oh i'm and i don't know enough about the islamic bowing practice to comment but for me i have my clients sometimes bow um to fear for some people that really really works and so if you bow to another person you know like wayne's world i'm not worthy you know (laughs) it's it's like it's almost like the fear helps us be if we have intimacy with it become very very reverent Mm. to the bigger mind or bigger picture reality that's happening all around us that is if you really think about it so obvious like water, water everywhere, yet we're fish, fish right. that don't even know about the water. Like right. if you open your eyes and look around, like there is so much more going on than my limited personal view of the world. And so I, the fear helps me bow to that in reverence. Mm. That's beautiful. Kristen, thank you for one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had. Wow. I did not know we were going to be talking about fear today, but this is, um, yeah, very meaningful. So thank you. Um, where may people find you on the internet? KristenOlmer.com. Um, I have a TED Talk out. I, I work with people to help them move from resistance to intimacy. I run, run ski camps. I, I'm all over the place. <laughs> Just find me. Look for me. You'll find me. Beautiful. We'll link to all that in the show notes. And thank you so much. Pleasure. <laughs>